0: So good to be with you this morning. Great to worship with you today. We're going to, we have to finish with worshiping too today. We just can't help but praise. And so at the end, we'll have a, a song of, of praise as well to finish the service off. But I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad you're here today. If you're new or this is your first time, I especially want to welcome you. We want to know that everyone, we're glad you're here today. It's good to celebrate this Easter uh, Sunday together. And although it's our Super Bowl Sunday for the Christian, and although we're excited, and it is a day of celebration. We have reason to celebrate. We also know that we live in a reality and I'm sure there are people that walked in this room today and you walked in with some problems just because we're celebrating today you walked in with problems today. Anybody having any problems here this morning? I mean we all have problems. I mean it's just human to have problems in this world and the you see it on the news, everything else, but we have it in our own lives I'm sure that we walked in and some of us Although we're celebrating, we also privately, we walk in with some heavy hearts this morning. We walked into a room and we know we have some problems. And I just know that um, there's an answer for it. Uh, A couple thousand years ago, we're going to talk about that. But first I want to tell you about a friend of mine or actually a uh, a pastor that's in Sacramento, California, his name is Ray Johnson. When I was pastoring out in California and was near his church, we'd go there on Saturday nights, and he uh, was a great mentor to many pastors and mentored me, and um, he has a church of about 20,000. I mean, he 's it's just an incredible, great, great guy, great man, great church, and a couple of, a few years back, uh, Forbes magazine um, called him and said, we want to interview you, and he said, well, um, I think that's a magazine for millionaires. I think you got the wrong guy. And they said, no, 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 we got the right guy. We want to interview a few pastors of some large, thriving churches so so we can write an article for what CEOs of of large corporations and businesses, what can they learn from our large, thriving pastors of these churches? And so after about a couple-hour interview, the very last question they posed to him was this. What's the most important thing you have learned in the last 10 years? And he said, that's it. That's easy. That's the easy one to answer. The, the, the thing that I've learned more than anything else is the answer to every problem is the right person. The answer to everything is the right person. You think about that just in our context. I mean, think about 50 years of Chiefs kingdom and football didn't have much of a kingdom Until a guy by the name of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes showed up. I mean, the right person, the right leaders changed that. Even this last year, not as dramatic, but Coach Tang of K-State, the culture, the right person changed everything. And not to be left out, uh, those KU fans were happy Bill Self is healthy and coming back because he's the right person. So it's the right person changes everything. The solution to everything is the right person. And friends, the right person for your life. Life is Jesus Christ. That's the message of Easter. The right person for your life. Is Jesus Christ, and I know that comes with skepticism. I know that there are billions around the world that aren't celebrating, that don't believe that, don't, uh, don't, um, you know, buy into that. And I know even in this room, there's probably maybe some that come with some doubts and has some skepticism. Number one, I'm thankful that Jesus had room at the table for a doubter, and and Thomas was was there. He was he was part of that inner circle. There's room at the table if you're a, a doubter, a skeptic this morning. Uh, In fact, there's something we like to say around here. We believe you belong here. And uh, you're looking for a church. We believe you belong here. But we also would say this. We believe it's okay for you to belong before you believe. We want you to believe. And we believe there's joy in believing. But if you struggle, if you're struggling with doubts, a little bit skeptic, then know this. It's okay to belong before you believe. We go at different paces in different ways. What I can do is testify to what I know in my experience is that I walked into a room 40 years ago and I walked out of that room a changed man, actually a changed boy that became a man, but I walked out different. I walked out with joy. I walked out with peace. I walked out changed. And 2,000 years ago, the disciples, they walked into a room defeated, discouraged, disheartened, down, uh, distraught, they had walked into a room with such destructive emotions, and their emotions were at an all-time low. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Is just two simple verses out of John chapter twenty, John chapter twenty, verse nineteen and twenty. It says, "On the evening of the first day of the week, this was." Sunday night, this would be tonight, 2,000 years ago. It'd be the day of the resurrection. It was the evening. I'm just going to paraphrase uh, verses 1 through 18. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene uh, when she went to the tomb. I mean, she he didn't actually, let me back up. He didn't appear to her yet. She went to the tomb. The tomb was empty. She went and got Peter and John, and she said, The tomb is empty. Our, uh, Jesus is not there. Peter and John, they went running to the tomb to look for themselves. Peter and John didn't stick around very long. They left kind of confused and wonderment. They, they left, but Mary, distraught, brokenhearted, her Savior, her hope had died. And she was weeping at the tomb when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And he called her by name, Mary in the same way that I believe God's calling each of us by name. Jesus is calling each of you and me. He's calling us by name. He said Mary, and she said teacher, and she was so excited. She went back, and she told Peter and John and the disciples, but verse 18 says that they, it really, they didn't believe her. They didn't, they, so you know they didn't believe her because verse 19 tells what they were doing. Destructive emotions, they were, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. These were men that saw their, their Messiah die, their Savior die, their hope die, and they knew that they were next. They thought if they're gonna take him out, they're gonna take us out. So they were behind locked doors with these destructive emotions of fear, anxiety, and total distraught. But Jesus came in. And he stood amongst them, and he said, peace be with you. That's the message of Easter. Christ has come to give us peace. Christ wants to enter into our room, in your room, the the room of your heart, and he wants to bring peace. And when Jesus comes in, peace comes in. And the moment Jesus appeared to them, he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Because Thomas in another gospel said, I will not believe it unless I touch his hands and his side. Unless I see it for myself, I will not believe it. And the disciples left overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they walked into this room with destructive, terrible Thoughts, fears, anxiety, but they left this room with a joy that was unspeakable because Jesus is alive, because he is risen. The three most powerful words that have ever been uttered, have ever been spoken, the most impactful, the most important three words ever spoken in history of mankind are these three words, he Is risen, And that's why we celebrate. And I know today we could sit there and debate different words that would be most important things we could say to one another. You might say the most important three words I could say to my wife or my children or my parents or the people around me. The most important three words I could say is, I love you. And and while those are important three words, they're nothing without the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, love dies. Without the resurrection... Faith expires. Without the resurrection, hope is gone. The only reason that we have faith, hope, and love is because of the resurrection. Three most important words He is risen, but because He is risen, we have love. Because He is risen, we have faith. Because He is risen, we have hope. Lionel Lucku was known, if you want to Google it this morning for yourself, you can Google it and see that he was. Uh, given the title of the most successful lawyer in history, the most uh, successful attorney in history. Um, he he, he, he uh, practiced law from, in Britain from 1940 to 1985, and in those 45 years, he won a consecutive 245 acquittals for those charged with murder. Two hundred forty-five charged with murder, two hundred forty-five acquittals in a row. So he went in the Guinness Book of World's Records of the the, the greatest attorney. Uh, Queen Elizabeth knighted him twice. Uh, he's, he, he was once challenged, um, and this is where it gets interesting. You might say, why do we care about this? Is because he was once challenged to make a defense. Either uh, I can't remember if it was make a defense or make a defense against but it was about the resurrection. So there was a kind of a mock trial courtroom setting where he was either, and I don't know which one it was, either to prove the resurrection was true or to prove the resurrection was not true. It doesn't matter. What we know is this. The last thing he said when in his closing argument was this statement. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it compels us acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely No room for doubt. Because of the resurrection, if you want to follow in your notes today, I have three things for you. Because of the resurrection, we have the certain hope that transformation is possible. Transformation is possible. First of all, the the disciples were radically transformed. They left that room radically changed. Remember just the few days before, they were cowards and now they were courageous. They were frightened and fearful. And now they were fearless. All because, and it wasn't because they were some courageous, they were ordinary men. It wasn't because they were some courageous people. They were, they were cowards. They ran before the resurrection. They ran when Jesus was betrayed. There's actually, I would argue, there's more courageous people out there than these 11 men. I'm so thankful to live in a country where hundreds of thousands have died for our freedom that we may worship here today. They died for what they believed in. They, blo- they died believing in freedom. And I'm thankful for that. But there was also 19 terrorist hijackers that put four planes, two into the World Trade Centers, one into the Pentagon, and one into a field in Pennsylvania. And I don't think any one of us would call them courageous, but in essence, they died for what they believed in. It's not courageous to just die for what you believe in necessarily. I mean, it is courageous in some contexts, in some ways. They didn't die for what they believed in. They ran. They they didn't know what they believed in. But after the resurrection, they died, uh, 10 of the 11 would die a martyr's death, not for what they believed, but for what they saw. They saw Jesus along with 500 other witnesses over 40 days, and it changed them. And because of the resurrection, they received great power. The second reason I would say is that the the lives that I've watched over 25 years of being a pastor and growing up in the church, but even just in the last 25 years, there's evidence in the, the power of seeing lives transformed, Personally, I've seen, I've been on the front row of watching Lives Transformed. I could name you countless people today. One of my favorite stories, I just saw her about a month ago at a funeral, it had been 16 years since I'd seen her, but at a funeral in Sacramento, uh, one of the speakers that I got up, I actually didn't recognize her until she said her name. And then after she said her name, I went up to her and I, she gave me a hug, I gave her a hug and I said, this is the story I often tell, Is it's true, right? She goes, absolutely, 100%. She was so broken and hurt when she came to our little church there in Rockland, California. She was in a destructive uh, marriage that was broken and there was, uh, there was verbal abuse, it was pain, it was agony. She had two small children. She showed up to our church because her brother, uh, just a few weeks before, had given his life to Jesus, gotten baptized. She watched that baptismal service. She came to to watch him at that service. She gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. Angela did it on that day. And, And the next day when she showed up to work, all of her friends, knowing what her situation was at home, noticed the countenance and something different about her and she was happy and joyful and excited and they were thinking something and this is the way the world thinks they said who's the new man in your life who is this new guy you got to tell us there's something different about you today who's this new man in your life and she said it's jesus You see, her circumstances hadn't changed at home. She still was going home to that broken home, but Jesus had come into her heart and her life and brought her peace in the middle of the storm. God transforms life. Because of the resurrection, transformation is possible. Because of the resurrection, hope is possible. And I just want to tell you the next seven weeks, this hope is so powerful, we're actually going to do a a seven-week message series on hope. And, and I just believe that there's people in this room and people watching online that need hope today. And if you don't need hope today, you know of people in your life that need hope today. And it would be a great series to bring them to, to share the, the hope that we have. Because when you get hope, the thing is, without hope, we die. There, and there's an epidemic going on in our world, and it's an epidemic of discouragement. It's an epidemic of discouragement. And the only antidote to discouragement is is hope, and we have that hope, and we're gonna expand on that hope, talk about some things that from the scripture that can build seven things that will build hope into your life and can help you defeat that, that enemy that we all face. We all face the enemy of discouragement, but there's this hope for us, and so I wanna encourage you to invite your friends, come back yourself to feel for hope. The second thing is, because of the resurrection, we have the certain hope that forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is available. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness means a fresh start. It means a new beginning. And every single one of us... At some time in our life, if we, we needed a fresh start, we needed a new beginning, we needed a do-over, and we serve a God because of the resurrection, He's given us a do-over. He's given us a fresh start. He's given us a new beginning. In our second service today, there's five, and I encourage you, even though they're in the second service, I encourage you to read those five testimonies today. They're five testimonies of a fresh start, a new beginning. When there's a a new lease on life that Jesus wants to give you and extend to you forgiveness. Forgiveness that tells us that he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and he remembers him, remembers them no more. He throws them into a sea of forgetfulness. He chooses to have a selective amnesia. God chooses to forget our sins that we confess to him. Through the resurrection forgiveness is available, and lastly, failure is not final. Transformation is possible, forgiveness is available, and because of the resurrection, failure is not final. Uh, Before the resurrection, Jesus knew. And And he told Simon, Simon Peter, he said, "'Simon, Simon, Satan has asked "'to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you Simon that your faith should not fail. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. He knew the rest of the disciples were going to fail, and he know and he knows that we are going to fail. But aren't we thankful that we have a God who doesn't seek to condemn us, but we seek we have a God who seeks to find a path for us back, to find a way back home. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Simon, he, he had denied Jesus three times, he'd broken his heart. But after the resurrection, Peter was a changed man. And he went from denying Jesus three times, striking out three times, to 50 days later, he would preach a message so boldly without fear that would launch the church that we are a part of today. 3,000 people were saved and baptized on that day and the church was launched. And we're here today because of the boldness of Peter that he was changed because his failures were not held against him. And failure was not final. And Actually, this whole book... All of the Bible, every bit of it, other than Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, every single story, every single person is a story of great failure. But they're divided into two camps. There's those who in their failure trusted God, and there are those in who failure who didn't. But the ones who trusted in God, Their failure was not final. And that's true for us too. I mean, all throughout. I mean, you see all the examples. Abraham and Isaac lied. Jacob was a deceiver. Noah was a drunk. Samson was immoral. Gideon was fearful. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Mary Magdalene was demon possessed. Don't you find it interesting that the first person that Jesus showed himself to after the resurrection, at his resurrection, the first person he showed himself to was Mary Magdalene, the one that had been demon possessed? I think that was a story for all of us to know that he can reach the farthest from him. It doesn't matter how deep in despair and how deep your darkness is. There is no reach of God's grace that God's grace cannot reach. I'm so thankful for the story of Mary Magdalene. The Samaritan woman was divorced, not once, not twice, five times. The disciples fell asleep at the wheel. Peter denied Jesus. Saul, who became Paul, persecuted, and he killed Christians. This is the good news of Easter, that our failures are not final. Transformation is possible. Forgiveness is available because of the resurrection. So this morning... I close with telling you a story about a Chicago pastor who I read about, and he was telling a story about his childhood, true story, and as many young boys probably did at his age in Iowa, they played baseball, and he was playing little league baseball, he was an eight-year-old, he said he was in the eight to ten-year-old division. And he said, I knew I was the worst player on the team because you know where they put the worst player in elementary school. Every elementary student even knows it. The worst player on the team, the least athletic is in right field. And they put you in right field because in, in, in little league, the odds of a hit going to right field is slim and none. So he said, I was out in right field. But whatever this game was, I can't remember if it was a championship or how consequential it was, but it was an important game. He said 60 of his relatives had come to watch the game. A little league baseball game. He said there's probably a couple hundred people there. 60 of them was my family. Cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. They had come to watch him play. And they were lined up against the fence. And it was the, down to their last out. They were down one run. The bases were loaded. And he was up to bat. And he said, I just knew that we were sunk. He said, being an eight year old, 10 year olds looked like grown men to him. And it was a 10 year old on the pitching mound. And he looked like he had a full beard and hairy arms. And he said, "I I, I just knew I was sunk. But he goes, I had a really good coach and he got in there behind me and he said, hey, when you get up there, when you get up there, wait for your pitch and swing for the fences. Wait for your pitch and swing for the fences. And he said, so after hearing that encouragement from my coach, it gave me a little confidence. It gave me a little bit of hope. And so I was doing this self-talk, walking up to the batter's box. I said, you know, it only takes one. I just got to get this hit. I can do this. And if I just get four balls and get a walk, at least the tie and run comes in and the next batter can come up and it could be on him. So I I got up with all the confidence I could muster in the world. And he said, I barely got in the batter's box. And that 10-year-old who felt like 21 to him, he said, that pitch came in so fast, strike one. He said, so I gave myself another self-talk and I got up to bat again. I, I saw the pitch a little bit better, but there again, strike two. And I didn't even swing. Two, so the walk's probably out of the, out of the equation. And I was going to do something that I've never done before. I I stepped outside the batter's box. I saw other people do this. I took my bat and I adjusted off my, my cleats and I kind of shifted my shoulder. And he said, I got in there. I got up to bat. And, and this time he goes, I started to swing during his windup. I was getting ready and I was at least going to swing. And he said, this time, the third time I saw the ball come off the pitcher's hand. I saw it. And I saw it coming towards me, and I swung and smack, hit the glove, strike three, and he was out. He said, I could hear half the crowd screaming and yelling. I could hear the audible groan of the other half of the crowd. And he goes, my coach came up, patted me on the back and said, get him. we'll get him next year. We'll get him next time. He says, that's the only encouraging word I heard. I walked back to the dugout, and he goes, as you can imagine, nine and 10-year-old boys can sometimes be cruel and can be mean. And he said, I just heard words like loser, idiot, moron, you cost us the game. And he said, by the time I got to the dugout, I was full on in tears. I grabbed a a jacket that I had, I put it over my head, and I just sobbed, and I sobbed. And he goes, it was probably 15 to 20 minutes, and because I began to hear the gravel parking lot, one car after another began to leave. And, And as that car, as the cars began to leave one after another, eventually there was a hush and a silence that fell upon that little league baseball field and I could hear a pin drop but then I heard the sound of a familiar voice it was my dad and it was coming from the pitcher's mound he said son get up the game ain't over and he goes I still stayed underneath there but I heard it get a little louder he said son get out here get up the game ain't over And I still stayed underneath there ashamed. And I heard it one more time loud. Son, get out here. The game ain't over. Said, so I began to just slowly take my jacket off. And I looked out there and to my amazement, my whole family, cousins, aunts, and uncles were out in the field, little cousins in diapers. I mean, there was, uh, everyone was playing a different place. I saw Aunt Lucy out in left field. I saw Uncle Joe out in center. I saw my blind Uncle Al in right field. He barely made it out there because he was legally blind. And, and my dad was like, get up there. It's time to hit. The game ain't over, son. Get up there. Let's hit it. And so I picked up that bat where I left it. I picked up that ball, and my dad began to pitch to me, and I began to swing, and I swung about 15 times, but finally, on the 16th time, I hit that ball in the left field between the shortstop and third base. It went out to my Aunt Lucy, who had zero athletic ability, and she threw the ball to my Uncle Joe in center field, wrong direction. My uncle, so I began to round first base and go to second. I saw Uncle Joe, who was a great athlete. He took the ball and threw it to my blind uncle, Al, in right field. And I knew at that point, even though I was a little boy, I knew it was on purpose, but I didn't care. Today, he said, I would call it the conspiracy of grace. And I began to round second. I didn't care. I didn't care at that point. I didn't care if it was fake or not. I I just knew that I was going to go home and I was going to score. And so I rounded third and I went home and I, I slid like the major leaguers do. I slid into home plate. And when I got up, I saw my dad down on one knee and he gave me the safe sign and his arms were wide open. And he said, son, come here, you're safe. And I went into his arms and those big arms, they went around me. And he whispered into my ear, I told you, son, game's not over. Game's not over. And that's the story of Easter. That's the story of the resurrection. Because of Jesus, the game's not over. In fact, it's just beginning. Would you pray with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know if it was mom's making a free lunch and this is your ticket. You don't get to eat unless you show up to Easter service. But I don't believe it's an accident. I do believe this. I believe some of you walked in here today feeling like you would leave here feeling worse than the way you came in. You feel like you've struck out. You feel like your batting average is low. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is here. And he's at home. And he's waiting for you to run into his arms. He's waiting to embrace you. And with the soft voice of the Holy Spirit whisper into your ears, I told you the game's not over. And if you'll trust Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, to be your Lord and Savior today, I'm going to tell you, your life isn't over. It's just beginning. Your life is just getting started. But you have to make the decision to run into his arms. He's waiting for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, this Easter Sunday could be the best day of your life when you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and let him welcome you home. If that's you this morning, maybe you walked away from him. Maybe you've 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 gone your own direction for a while, and this is the day that you're going to come back. But today, the Holy Spirit is whispering to you, saying, "It's not over. Come home." If that's you, would you? So no one's looking around. Would you just raise your hand today. I want to pray before. I won't embarrass you. Thank you. I won't embarrass you before I leave. Would you just raise them high so I can see them? No one's looking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And even if I miss it, God sees it. Here's what I want to do. We. We have a prayer of affirmation and confirmation of our faith. And I'm going to invite you all to stand together this morning. And we're going to pray a simple prayer that we pray at this church. And it's a prayer of invitation. It's not so, there's no magic in the words. What makes it meaningful is when you believe it in your heart. And scripture tells us if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that we're a child of God. And we're welcomed into his family. So you're not going to pray it. Those of you who raise your hand, you're not going to pray this by yourself. We're all together because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But because of the resurrection, forgiveness is available. Transformation is possible. And failure isn't final. So we're going to pray this prayer with joy and with faith. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised to life from the grave to give me life. Sorry. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen and amen. And congratulations. We want to welcome those of you that made this decision today to the family of God. In a few moments, Pastor Nate will give you some final instructions, but we're going to send us out today celebrating that there's joy in the house of the Lord today because of what Jesus has done. Let's sing it like we believe it. God bless you.